I've reflected a lot, and this, this is the first time I've officially retired from something um, and stayed where I was. Uh, every other church uh, left Tulsa, and they had a party. I came to First Press in Aurora. And after I left Aurora, they had a party, and I went to Arlington Heights. Um, in Arlington Heights, when I left there to go to Michigan, they had a party. Um, when I was in Michigan, and I left there, they had a party. And I'm not sure if all these parties were saying good riddance, but there were still parties. Uh, to go to Sheridan, and then from Sheridan to Oak Brook. I uh, left Oak Brook, there was a party to come and plant River Valley. So it's been an amazing journey. Um, but I always left someplace, and I'm not leaving. Um, but instead, I'm going to be able to sit with you and listen to somebody else teach me. Um, and I am looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to just being a part of and having somebody shepherd and lead me. And I'm so thankful that we have Bob who's able to do that. We have others that have been able to do that and others who've done that throughout the years in my life. Um, I reflected about River Valley and how all this started um, as a result of my wife's prayers and Paul House and Cal Markham and sitting down with those two at a, at a funeral luncheon. And Paul saying to me, what would, it, what would you need to plant a church that was really focused on community? And I said, just a place. And he looked at me and he goes, you've got it. And then my wife looked at me and said, now what's your excuse? <laughs> you know? I should have said like, oh, just a million dollars or something. No, no, no just a place. Um, and being here at River Valley has been one of the most transformational um, experiences of my life. And Paul, I just thank you for God speaking through you and how he has spoken through you throughout the years of my life. Um, from when I first became a Christian and you took me to Windy Gap, North Carolina to today, that God still uses you to speak in the lives of others. Um, <clears throat> I think about all the things that have taken place over the last 16 years. And actually it's been about 17 years since this whole idea of planting took place. And it was 16 years, it'll be 16 years in March. Uh, that we have planted. I've talked to different pastors and they've all said, you know, being in the ministry is the loneliest position because you can't be friends with the people you minister to. And I just found that not to be true. Um, I, when I take a look at River Valley, it is my friends. Um, you know, it's not like we have this other social life over here and then we have River Valley. It's, it's here. People have asked, well, where are you going to go to church after you leave River Valley? I go, I'm going to go to River Valley. I mean, 
That's just because I'm not preaching. This is still the people I love and the people that have loved me. I've, I don't know any pastor who has been as blessed as I have been through the years, and especially at River Valley. Um, I started reflecting on some of the ex experiences and some of the things that took place. I was able to see both my children married while here. To see our four grandchildren born and a part of our lives here. Um, I have Anna working on staff with me is just a blessing that sometimes it's easy to take for granted. When Micah was living in Kansas City and he called me up and he said, Dad, when are they going to put new sermons on the website? I go, what are you talking about? He goes, well, your sermons are on the website. And I go, I didn't know the sermons were on the website. He goes, yeah, and I've listened to all of them twice, three times. What are they going to put some new ones on? I, I don't know. So I asked Jeff, and he goes, Jeff, are our sermons on the website? He goes, yeah, I put them on a long time ago. Um, and just to see those things take place, but to have your son ask you those kind of questions was just very meaningful. For Anna to work side by side with me is significant. Um, some of the best friends we have are part of this church. Um, and I just can't imagine it being any different. Um, and so I thank all of you for the experience of being a part of this community. I can remember, and I wish Scott was here, one of the most emotional or just unique experiences was I was up here preaching and Charlie came up. She couldn't have been more than a year and a half old. And she just walked right up to me while I'm preaching and just looked up at me and put out her arms. So I picked her up and, was it Natalie? Okay. And held her through the whole sermon. And she just sat there and content while I'm preaching. Um, and from that point on, I just said, you know, to have a child feel that comfortable in church is, is, is the experience I want every child to be able to feel. And for them to be able to walk up to any adult and feel safe, to feel like they could talk to them. And I think that's happened. And I think it's special. Um, I can remember one family that is, is no longer going to church here, but their, their daughter had the friends over and they were playing church. And she, the mom said, what are you doing? She goes, we're playing church. And everybody was at round tables. <laughs> All the neighborhood kids were sitting at round tables and she was preaching to them. Um, <laughs> uh, so there's just those types of experience. Um, you are an amazing group of people. You really are. And I hope you realize the community that God has given us, but not only the community that God has given us,
but the community that God continues to call us to. Um, and it's easy to take that for granted, except when you think about leaving. And then it says, oh, wow, I'm going to miss this, or I'm going to miss that. And we almost have to live on a daily basis with that sense of what we're going to miss in order to cherish that which we have. Um, because as I look around, and, you know, if I saw an empty table, it immediately would, I could put a face to it. Say, I wonder how they're doing. Or I wonder where they are. Um, but instead of wondering how they're doing and wondering where they are, it's easy to just get on the phone and text. <laughs> because nobody answers their phone anymore. Um, but to just check on people and to pray for one another as through this next phase of ministry and the next phase of River Valley. I mentioned that my last sermon was going to be multiple choice. Some of you have heard it. Some of you may not remember it. If you're as old as me, you probably won't. Um, but, and at different times, I've used that as just sort of a theme of my life. Um, and I think that's why it's, favorite. it's my favorite, because I think it's got a great message. But it's also my favorite because it's a theme of my life. And when we planted River Valley, we had a vision of what it would look like. And throughout 16 years, what it has looked like has evolved and changed on a regular basis. And so no matter what vision I had as far as what it would look like, the people that are here and the way the ministry looks like is completely different than what I originally envisioned. And so it's always willing to be surprised by God um, and not to be afraid of being surprised by God. But imagine multiple choice quizzes. Anybody ever take a multiple choice quiz? Right. A is one answer, B is another answer, C is another answer, and when I was growing up, there was only D, none of the above. Then they got more complicated. A and B, or you know, E, you know, all of the above. But you know, the simple one was A, B, C, and D. Um, so imagine a questionnaire given to the angels way back in some millennium, celestial millennium, or eon BC, that this quiz is given to the angels. And the all-important question is, how will God make himself known? How will he reveal himself to the people he loves and, the, you know, and show his grace and his love and his forgiveness? Um, option A, come with glory. The clouds will open up, there'll be chariots, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir will be singing. It will just be an amazing event. Or come with power. March in with an army that is greater than any army that ever was, with more nuclear warheads than any country has ever had, or combined of all of them in the world. Or come with miracles. Wave his hand and just let there be miracle after miracle after miracle that will take place. Now, Imagine which one of the angels would have picked it. Which one of them would have picked D 
None of the above. Come as a baby, born in a manger, with no hype, no hoopla, no great announcement, no, you know, thunder or lightning or acknowledgement that something miraculous was taking place. Um, I don't think any of them would have chosen that one. And I can imagine their faces when they got their quizzes back and the right answer was D. Because he did not come in glory. He was born in a manger, in a barn. He was born as helpless as any newborn infant to the point that the ruler of the day signed a decree that any two-year-old child born in that area would be put to death out of fear of that child becoming a king. No miracles. Sure, it was a miraculous birth, but it wasn't what the people were expecting. It wasn't a parting of the Red Sea. It was just a miraculous birth. And think of all the people that miss it, missed it. The innkeeper, because he was too caught up in business. The residents of the inn, because they were too comfortable in their life. King Herod, too concerned with his own career. The religious elite, because it threatened who they were. And think about the people that miss it today. The businessman who's too busy trying to make a dollar. The residents of the inn, the regular people who are saying, you know what, life is comfortable. I don't want God to mess up my life. This is comfort, this is good, just leave me alone. Or those who are too concerned with their own power. You don't think I'm going to surrender my life to something that I no longer have control over. No. Or the religious. Well, God can't work that way. He's only got to work in the way I expect him to work. And so they all miss. So yes, it was a miracle birth, but just not the party of the Red Sea. He turned his back on all the things that the people would have expected to come to earth in the lowest possible form in order to reveal to people that he is available to all people. That there's nobody that can feel low enough to not accept Christ because Christ went that low to meet them. So we might find it difficult to see things the way God does things, to understand the whys and the wherefores of his choice of option D, then if we do find that difficult, we need that Christmas time reminder of his choice of option D. Because it's very typical of the way that God loves to operate. Because God's work done in God's way will never lack God's support. When it's his work done in his way, it will always receive his support. So as River Valley goes forward, all kinds of people will speculate about what it's going to look like, what's going to happen, how come we didn't do this, how come you didn't do that, what, all those questions. And the real simple one is option D. None of the above. We don't know. God is still willing to surprise us with his option. What it requires of us is to continue to do things God's way in a way that honors him. The Exodus is one of my favorite stories. 
Again, you have Moses trapped at the Red Sea. And it was obvious that God led them into the trap. Really, you want us to go this way where there's no exit plan? You know, and a human, when we think, you know, all wisdom says, have an exit plan. Have an option. You know, if something goes bad, what's next? Moses is stuck. And so they see Pharaoh and his army coming, and Moses pulls together the think tank of Israel. Okay, folks, what's our plan? What's the, what are we going to do here? And I can see one guy raising his hand saying, you know what? Just give in, give up, surrender. Go to Pharaoh and say, April Fools, we were just joking, we're coming back. We, you know, we're just taking a little hiatus. So no problem. Or just go, you know, stand and fight. Command another person, let's just stand and fight. We'll all die, but it'll be Moses' last stand. It'll be the greatest thing in all of history. People thousands of years from now will come and stand right on this spot to recognize this was the place where the nation of Israel was destroyed. It'll be fantastic. Or option C. I don't know about you folks. I'm swimming. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm diving in. I'm gone. Or option D. None of them would have come up with this one. Well, Moses, you just go step in the water. God will part the sea. We'll all walk through. And then when we get to the other side, God will pour the water back in and drown Pharaoh and his army. It'll be wonderful. We'll be good. None of them would have come up with option D. We face trials in our lives, and we'll go through option A, option B, option C. And then we'll get to our wit's end, and either we'll go into despair, or we'll say, well, now I'm ready to listen to God's choice. What is option D? See, the choice God made was not one we would have thought of or one that ever strikes our fancy. When we are confronted with the impossible, God shows us the possible. The problem is, our tendency is when we are confronted with the impossible to move into despair, not into God's possibilities. When our back's up against the wall, when our choices are exhausted, then God has the freedom to give us his choice. But when we're still running around trying to figure out what our choice is and to make our choice work, we're not listening to God. And if we're not listening to God, we can't hear him. And if we can't hear him, we can't follow him. And so it just makes it hard for us to see none of the above. And again, it may not be the one that we understand. God's option D may not be the one that we understand or the one that we would choose. But when the odds seem insurmountable, when it looks impossible to move forward, that's when we have to say, okay, God, what's your plan? What's your choice? So people don't have to always give up on a marriage. They don't always have to give up on a job. They don't always have to give up on self. They don't always have to give up on family. They don't always have to give up on life. They don't always have to give up on overcoming an addiction. They don't always have to overcome and you know, give up on overcoming some kind of a besetting sin. 
just because we have come up to our wit's end, just because we have checked A, B, or C, then it's time for God to show us his choice. For God exercises power in such a way that those who trust him always see his promises fulfilled. Just not always in the way that we would anticipate it. Look at Abraham and Sarah. Another good one. Again, God's choice. Um, very typical. Man's, man is limited. God is limitless. God approaches Abraham and says, I am your God. You are my people. I'm going to make you into a mighty nation. Your descendants will be as, as the sands of the sands on the beach or the stars in the sky. They will be, you, you can't count them. And Abraham and Sarah are thinking, mm-hmm. She's in the tent laughing. Abraham's outside wondering because how are you going to work with, with a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman who is impotent and barren? This, so options. What are your options? Well, we'll adopt. That's always a good option. We'll adopt. And, or, Sarah came up with, well, just have a child by my slave girl, Hagar. Abraham was up for it. And then, or scrub the plan. Just scrub it. Get another couple. Angels, you, you've made the mistake. Find another couple. Let them be the father of the nation. Or option D. None of the above. Once again, God has a better idea to do the impossible. The incredible choice is the choices that God picks. He is not limited by our expectations or our preconceived notions. I've mentioned before that the most dangerous people in the church are the inside outsiders. It's not the cults, it's not the atheists, it's not the heathens, it's not the liberals, it's not the fundamentalists or charismatics, it's the inside outsider. Inside the church, but outside a vital relationship with Christ. Because outside of that relationship, there is no vision or at best, a limited vision, and limited by human reason, not a vision that is planted by God. And so the inside outsider is the most dangerous person, because when God gives a vision to go forward, the inside outsider says, we can't. The problem is that they are focusing on A, B, and C. It's the inside insider who can say, God has a better choice. And when we reach our impossibilities, God shows us his possibilities. And we face that every day of our lives. We don't even realize it probably how many times we face these impossibilities that we get caught in despair, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be in relationships, whether it be in finances, whether it be in health, in addictions. We face our limits. And then instead of getting to the point where you say, okay, God, surprise me. What does option D look like? See, he's not limited by our expectations or our preconceived notions of how we should behave or how we should operate. We need to learn to trust his choices. One indication that Jesus was truly the Son of God was not only his virgin birth or his virtuous life or his vicarious death, or his victorious resurrection, or his visible return, but also his vulnerable 
lifestyle that he lived day by day. That he was there for us. And our lifestyle, our vulnerable lifestyle, our humility, our trust, our willing to submit to the Holy Spirit is an evidence that Christ is not only living around us, but he's living in us. And that's the difference between an inside outsider and an inside insider. Is Christ living in you or is he just around you? Just around you. Another multiple choice question that shows the power of God. 5,000 hungry people. It's late. And the disciples come to Jesus and they say, we got some hungry people out there. What do you think we should do? And I can just say, okay, here's a little quiz. Option A, go hungry. Fast. You all need a little fast time. A little prayer and fasting never hurt anybody. Go home. Go home, feed yourself, come back tomorrow morning. Or go buy some food, come back, and we'll have a potluck about 6.30. You know, bring your favorite dish. Or none of the above. Which one of us would have picked none of the above? Because which one of us would have figured that Jesus would feed 5,000 with a couple of loaves of fish, or a couple of loaves of bread, and a couple of fish? That wouldn't have been our first default, would it? And again, God's choice is usually not our first default. Because we as a people, and it's not just us, throughout history, people have not been a people who are willing to be surprised by God. You know, even the disciples who spent days, years, 24-7 with Jesus, were constantly being surprised by his option. So if you're not attuned to option D, don't feel bad. Because even the disciples weren't. But again, Jesus went beyond our human reason, beyond our comprehension and said, trust me and let me show you what I can do with the people who will put me first. Going forward at River Valley, that needs to be our prayer. Not our opinion, our prayer. God, help us to trust you and what you're going to do as we go forward to f serve the next generation. Zacchaeus, crook, made a living collecting taxes, more than what he was owed. He was a hated, despised person in, you know, that time. He was like the state of Illinois, you know. <laughs> you, know. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> more taxes? <laughs> <laughs> and he, so he climbs a tree to see Jesus and as he's up in the tree Jesus stops and sees him and as soon as, as soon as Jesus sees him you can imagine the crowd what are they thinking option A Jesus condemn him for his crooked behaviors for being a dirty rotten no good sinner or just ignore him just ignore him. Don't even, don't even recognize that he's a human being. He's dead to us. Just let him go. Or laugh at him. Just make him the laughing stock of the community. Just ridicule him. Let him be laughed at. Or option D, none of the above. So what does Jesus do? He invited him home for dinner. Or actually, 
invited himself home to his dinner, um, for, or his home for dinner. And that would have just blown the people away. See, that's not our choice when we come across a person that's difficult to love. That's not our choice to love others who are different than us. It's not our choice to love that person that's difficult to love. But that's what Jesus did. And he will do the same for anyone. To anyone who will invite them for dinner, behold, I stand at the door. Jesus is knocking at each one of our doors and saying, just let me in and I will sup with you and you with me. See, the Bible isn't merely a storybook. If you see it that way, you'll miss the marvelous truth that is pounded home and pounded home by all the stories and the truth that God really does love option D. The problem is we love a solid answer. We want to read something. This is it. This is the conclusion. This is how it's supposed to be. This is the way it's going to be. And if we do these five things, God will bless us in ways that we would never be expected. So that's why you can get on TV and you can find, you know, get prayer claws. You can get miracle water. You can get all these things if you just mail them and then life will just be perfect. And the reality is, no. It's messy. It's difficult. But God is always there. He refuses to go by the established category that people say is final and settled and unchanging. All of the answers aren't final. There's always hope. And we need to wake up to the reality that most of the given answers don't fit. The present situation is not the final destination. It's not the final outcome. Jesus says, I have a hope and a future for you. And the real life in Christ is not dependent upon the circumstances you are in. So don't mortgage tomorrow in order to nurse the bruises of yesterday. Don't mortgage tomorrow for short-term gratification or satisfaction. Don't surround yourself with others who are stuck in the same rut. And all a rut is is a grave with the ends knocked out. I know a lot of you have heard that before. But there's a point where we get into this rut of breakfast, work, dinner, bed. Breakfast, work, dinner, bed. Breakfast, work, dinner, bed. Breakfast, work, dinner, dead. And there's no life abundant in the midst of all of that. Don't be a person who goes through life never experiencing life and life abundant. Don't let it just be Christ out there. Let Christ be in here. Don't be a part of the get evens, the get mores, the give ups. Don't be a part of the movers, the shakers, who buy and sell pretty much as they please, but who gather up in their comfort and talk. And don't try to package your life in neat little packages. And then if those neat little packages don't work, you say, well, where is God in all of this? God isn't in the neat little packages. Instead, let God surprise you with his love and grace. Another multiple choice question. How is Jesus going to go into Jerusalem? It's the end of his life. He's going to go into Jerusalem. And it's going to be it. And here's the people who have been following Jesus. Here's the nation of Israel. A king. He's going to come in. He's going to overthrow the Roman government. So option A. He's going to have a major military force. He's going to come in and he's going to overthrow the Romans. And then finally the nation of Israel will be in charge. We will be the, it. 
Or he'll go in and he'll just mesmerize them by miracles and they will fall down and just worship him and drop their weapons and say, okay, Jesus, you're it. And all the Romans would now surrender their lives to Christ. Or to just go in and preach his way in such a way that he would just confound them beyond all comparison, that he would give them their reason, he would give them their logic, and they would just say, wow, that is a reasonable faith. Wow, that's an apologetic I've never heard. So obviously, I'm just going to surrender my life to Christ for that. Or option D, none of the above. He comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. On a donkey. To suffer the worst death a person could ever suffer for us. So what does it mean to call Jesus the Son of God? Another multiple choice question. It means we confront the immovable. We take a momentary breath from the breath of God and realize that the way things are aren't the way they will always be. So it doesn't matter what we're going through today. It doesn't mean it's going to be that way tomorrow. And sometimes we get caught in today and we relive today like it's Groundhog Day. The only difference is that we live each day over and over again complaining about the same things. Instead of going forward and saying, you know, tomorrow's going to be different. And tomorrow I'm going to be surprised by God again. And again. And again. And my relationship with Christ is one that I get surprised every day by his love, by his grace, by his forgiveness, by his compassion, by his understanding, and by his guidance. And that is the power of option D. Check the alternatives. Who is Jesus? What does it mean to call Jesus the Son of God? The alternatives. Jesus is a fool. He has no inkling of what he's doing. He has no understanding of who he is. He thinks he's a savior. Or he's a madman, out of touch with reality, going around, and with some really strange characters that he's associated with. And think he's strange. You should have seen his cousin who proclaimed that he was coming. He was real strange. He sat around in the desert in loincloth and ate locusts. And, you know... So this whole movement is a little bit suspect. Or Jesus is a clown, simply out of step. Or none of the above. He's in this world, but not of it. A savior who confounds the wise, king of kings, lord of lords, ruler over everything, savior of the world. And so how is Jesus going to redeem man? Cast Satan down once and for all, lock him in hell, throw away the key? Punish and condemn all those who tried to condemn him. Get revenge on everyone. Set up a huge confessional booth. And he and the disciples listened to confessions for the next 33 years. So that everybody could finally find grace and freedom and redemption in Christ. Or D, none of the above. See, does Jesus make that kind of a difference in your life? If not, it's a shame that Christmas ever happened. 
because it hasn't happened in you yet. You're able to celebrate the gifts, the festivities, the lights, the meals, but did you really celebrate a living Savior who's alive in you? Right back to the quiz. One more final question. 33 years after the manger scene, Pontius Pilate asked the most crucial question that anybody ever asked. What shall we do with Jesus, who is called Christ? What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? That is a question that every one of us will ask. We may not even know that we're asking it. But every person will ask that question. What shall I do with Jesus? Same question Pilate asked. Ask him to go away. Jesus, I've heard all the stories about you. I've heard all the sermons. I've heard everything there is about you. I don't want it. Just go away. Just go away. Or just ignore it. I've heard it, but I can pretend like it's not really there. I'll just ignore it. I can ignore Jesus. Or option C, wait. Just wait outside, Jesus. I'm not really ready to surrender my life to you yet. You know, maybe tomorrow. Maybe a week from now. After I've established my career. After I've got my education. After I've gotten married, after I do these things. I can remember having that conversation with my sister. I said, Tracy, do you think you'll ever go to church again? She goes, yeah, I'm waiting until I get married. Okay. After she got married, Tracy, do you think you'll ever get married again? Well, after we have children. Okay. Well, my sister today acknowledges that she's an atheist. She doesn't believe. See, there's a danger in ignoring. There's a danger in asking them to go away. There's a danger in asking them to wait outside. Or option D, gladly and immediately open the door of your heart and your life to receive Christ, but not just as Savior as Lord. Joe and I were talking just briefly before the sermon, and I know when you think of Joe and I talking briefly, that's just, those things just don't connect. That's option D. Um, and so we were talking, and he talked about evangelism. I said, the scripture tells us to make disciples, not to evangelize, but to make disciples. But the only way you can make disciples is by evangelizing. But the Christian community has stopped at evangelism. And overall, in the Christian community, we've stopped making disciples. We've stopped entering into each other's life, challenging each other, growing with each other. Um, there's, a, there's a person I know that I'm that I'm working with as, as a chaplain for, for his company. And he was talking to me about 
the discipleship program that he's a part of and how being a disciple, being a part of that and having that level of accountability has completely transformed his life. That it was before, you know, yeah, I was going along. But now, and, and the interesting thing is that he's become that disciple. His life is more vulnerable. It's more open. It's more challenging. It's more revealing. But he said, but it is the best experience I'm having now. Um, and right now he's going through a real difficult time because his daughter has been in the hospital all through Christmas. She's going to be in the hospital for another week. And I'll be going to see him on Monday. Um, but he's just discipleship. That's what God calls us to. And so when people think about what's the next stage of River Valley, it doesn't matter what stage. It's the same command for all of us to go forth and make disciples. And it has nothing to do with who's sitting here. Or if Bob's up here, who's standing here, with, you know, and walking from there to there. Um, or Vince is here, it's all over the place. Um, it's what do you do with the people that are sitting at your table? What do you do with one another? Are you praying? Are you connecting? Are you going forth and saying, you know, the real important thing that we have to do is to continue to pray for the direction of the church willing to be surprised by option D and to go forth and make disciples and invest in each other's lives in ways that we'd never have before. Option D, not always easy to hear, but it's what God always likes to surprise us with. Father, I just praise you and thank you for this day.